Today's podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, and medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburn, rashes, and other types of skin damage. And the best part is that it's safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for use on all skin types and all parts of the body, even with rosacea, eczema, or acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the littlest member of your family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. I have three kids. We have injuries in our house almost daily, and so it's so nice to have active skin repair to reach for in my cabinet because I know that it's safe, natural, and non-toxic. We use it for things like burns or scrapes or cuts. My youngest daughter recently had a really bad finger injury and we were using it on her and it did not sting or burn her at all. So it was perfect. Today, as a listener of this podcast, you can get a special discount on your order of active skin repair. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more and to get 20% off your order, use code no one told us. That's activeskinrepair.com code no one told us for 20% off your order. Welcome back to the No One Told Us podcast. This week, I am so, so excited to talk to one of my very favorite Instagram personalities and snack aficionados and midwives. <laughs> Eileen is a midwife, a birth debrief facilitator, an author, and a mom of two. After working as a midwife in a busy hospital in South London, she left to embark on this journey to support those in perinatal trauma. Informed by her own birth experiences, Eileen is dedicated to supporting women and their families to overcoming difficult perinatal experiences. On Instagram at Mixing Up Motherhood, Eileen discusses all things motherhood, pregnancy, and childbirth, and maternal mental health. And she empowers women through her education and also just like your warmth and your humor. You just give it all to us over on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. I've been in your comment section like, pick me, pick me. Like, I want to come and talk. <laughs> well, it Not was an easy choice. Anything, but, you know, you just got to shoot your shot. No, it was an easy <laughs> choice. You've actually been, I mean, I've been like planning and, and launching this podcast for almost a year now. And you were on my original list of guests that I would love to have. So I'm so glad that we we're finally able to make it happen. And I, a lot of people also did request you and request this topic about birth trauma, which is what we're going to talk about today, because it is so, I don't know, it just, it seems like something that we're not allowed to talk about. Or when we do talk yeah. about it, we're kind of gaslit. Um, so there's not a lot of safe spaces to dive into all the things that can go on with not only birth trauma, but pregnancy trauma or trauma with postpartum mm -hmm. experiences or things like that. So I'm really excited for people to hear what you have to say today, because I think a lot of times too, people don't even realize they've been through a trauma. No. until after. And I'm sure that's a big part of your work too. So can you just first share a little bit about you? I know I just introduced you, but I would love for you to introduce yourself and talk about, you know, what kind of brought you to this work in the first place? Yeah. So I have two children now. Um, my daughter is five and my son is 20, 20 something months, you know, second children who remembers you anything, just never know. basically he's just over 20 months. <laughs> you just never know. Um, and I, yes, yeah, so I'm a midwife. I'm still a registered midwife. I just don't practice clinically. Um, I, I was working and had my daughter under circumstances that for me were just not in the least bit positive. 
and I, it kind of it impacted so much um, in the postnatal period, but also how I was able to show up and do my job. Um, meaning that after returning from maternity leave, which here in the UK is nine months to a year when you work for the public sector, um, oh I found it very difficult um, and basically quit. <laughs> One day was mm. like, I just, I can't do it. I was in a situation um, where I sort of froze and I found myself really kind of thinking I can't be complicit in harm and I can't see what was done to me being done to others. And what I could remember about my own birth was the faces. It was something that was very kind of, you know, pertinent. It was, I saw the faces really clearly and I just felt that I don't want to be the face that someone remembers in their trauma. Um, Mm. and yeah, so I was like, you know, I'm just not going to do this. And then the pandemic hit, but two days before the pandemic hit, or like before, like we were starting to get locked down. My husband was like, I've got to go to Spain to work for a bit. I was like, no, don't go. You're going to get locked down. Don't go. And he was like, no, 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 I'm going to go. I'll be back. Four months he was locked down for. Um, and he was in Spain I and I was in that. England. Yeah. And I was oh like, um, hun. So there were no flights. There was nothing. And I had obviously our daughter who was I think about 17 months at the time. Um, and I was just like, um, okay but luckily enough I was living with my mum and my sister had come back from uni because her university had like shut down um and we had a great four months did you want to kill him for leaving I would be like I would never forgive him oh my god (laughs) I mean I bring it up now Okay, good. Good, good, good. oh you're not taking out the rubbish that's because you left and you didn't listen to me (laughs) He will pay um, for that for life, I hope. He will. He will. But, you know, it was one of those things. And and, and I, I was like, what am I going to do? Because obviously I had to quit my job. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And um, and then I was like, I'm going to start blogging. And I can remember it so, so distinctly. And I was sitting on the stairs at my mum's and I was saying to my sister, what should I call it? What should I call it? Um, and I had all these funny names, mum tribe, mum club, this, that and the other. And I was like, what about mixing up motherhood? It's all like, you know, it means that I just give myself the freedom to speak about what I want. So I started that and it really took off. Um, it was over the sort of George Floyd, Black yes. Lives Matter resurgence. And mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, was a lot. And also from someone who was speaking in the perinatal space, speaking about the fact that the maternal mortality for black women was significantly yes. higher than their white counterparts was also something that I was very vocal about, um, mm-hmm. which I think kind of propelled my platform. <clears throat> but underneath all of that, there were lots of people that were sending me their birth stories and I was advising them and supporting them and all of that. And um, and by in September, I was like, do you know what? I, I think, why don't I see if I could offer it as a service? Like I still hadn't started a new job. Um, and in the first couple of weeks, I had like one to two appointments. But by about four weeks in, I had a six week waiting list. So wow. I clearly kind of like tapped into something that didn't exist. And I think because it because it happened so organically, like I didn't start social media for money, for business. You know, it was just like, oh, actually, maybe I'm OK at this. Let me see what happens. Um, and it, it, it really worked. Um, and I've been doing that now for what? just over three years um I do that full time um so that's how that happened um and then my book got commissioned so my book is called the birth debrief if you're in Canada you can get it if you're in the states 
you can get it if you know someone in Canada who can post it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily I for me, I do have a lot of friends I, in Canada, so I can get it on over good. here um, because I do. I want to be able to read it and have it in my hands and share it because it's really something to be proud of. And again, I think it's something that just like with your Instagram, it's just you clearly tapped into an unserved or at the very least underserved subset of parents and moms where they weren't feeling like there was anywhere to talk about this unless they could shell out money for therapy or, you know, find a group or find a friend. But for you to just like hold that space for them, I think is so important. So let's back up a little bit. And Mm. how, how would you even define birth trauma, right? Because if you follow anyone, or if you've ever been to a therapist, there's so many different ways to define trauma. There's so many different Mm -hmm. ideas about Mm -hmm. what counts as trauma, little t trauma, there's big t trauma, like there's all these ways to think about it and to talk about it. So how do you define a birth trauma? And how would somebody know if they did go through what could be considered traumatic? Yeah, so for me, I really, I often try to like, move away from giving something a title before we've explored it. So I go backwards. Mm. I'm like, talk to me about your feelings. And once we talk about the feelings, then we can put a title because whether or not we like it, we already have a preconceived notion of what trauma is. So Mm. this is something that inhibits people from speaking about themselves or describing their experience as traumatic because perhaps it's not traumatic enough or it doesn't meet the sort of requirements of that predisposed idea of what trauma is. And so I'm always like, tell me how you feel. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about it. And sometimes they'll say, I feel traumatized. I'm like, cool, let's explore it. And other times they say, I feel disappointed. I feel upset. I feel angry, you know, and it's like, let's talk about it. And once you get, you have that conversation about the feelings, it's like, "Uh aha, okay, now we can kind of work towards a title, but it's not boxed in. You know, it's like that actually, if we look at trauma, trauma is an internal response to an external situation. And so it's like, actually, I just feel how I feel. I felt how I felt. And I get to decide what that title is. Now, regardless of if I call it trauma or if I call it disappointment or anger or frustration, it doesn't really matter. So I try and get people to sort of move away from this idea that I've had birth trauma because. Mm maybe they don't feel traumatized. And I also really don't like to put on people, so you're traumatized, because they might mm-hmm. not be. But then when you say, right. oh, are you, you're traumatized, you're kind of planting a seed. And they're like, well, should I be? Could I be? And it's like, hold on, let's do this the other way. I want this to come organically from you. And you tell me how you feel. So I, I tend to kind of move away from from sort of, you know, distinctively saying you're traumatized or have you had birth trauma? However, birth trauma would be described as sort of a, it's basically like PTSD, symptoms of PTSD. So around the perinatal period. So you will have symptoms such as intrusive thoughts, flashbacks, night sweats, palpitations, you know, all of those symptoms of PTSD, but associated with a perinatal experience. So that's anything from preconception all the way to kind of postnatal, well into the postnatal period. I've seen people from like six weeks postnatal to 10 years postnatal. So it's not really, you know, there's no kind of, we don't stop being mothers. So this means that we don't stop 
having the trauma that kind of we hold in our bodies. So by saying to people, you can be seen up to 18 months postnatal, it's like, well, that's unfair because I don't suddenly stop. I don't suddenly lose the need. Um, And what I tend to get is people coming to me around 18 months to two years, because at that point is when they're getting a bit more independence and a bit more separation from the child for whatever reason. Many yeah, may have stopped breastfeeding. Or, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And suddenly their mind goes, hold on, how am I? Huh. Huh. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it's there's no time limit on it. Do you find that a lot of people are coming to you to talk about the birth itself and how it may have gone left or maybe they just weren't feeling heard? Or do you find that it's more... Um, people that are just kind of struggling to process it in general like what what are most of your clients coming to you with so, wanting to process through a lot of the time it is what they think is the birth experience and i say what they think not to diminish what they think they're carrying but because in many ways we often see things as happening in isolation and nothing happens in isolation everything is connected So when I'm starting a debrief, I'm like, talk to me about the journey to conception, because if you've had a difficult journey to conception and then perhaps you've had miscarriages or you've had losses and then maybe you've got sick in your pregnancy. So that's also the following question. How's your pregnancy? And then maybe your mental health was was suffering in pregnancy. And then how was the birth? And then how was the postnatal period? And we always kind of loop it and go, well, let's look at how these things are connected. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they haven't done that because Someone will say, oh, the birth really bad. And they're like, no, actually, the birth was fine, but I just feel, and it's only when you kind of start to explore other experiences with them that are all along that perinatal period that they then go, yeah, actually, my pregnancy was terrible. And that's really impacted my postnatal period, you know? And so it's like, they think they're coming to me for one thing. And by the end of it, they're like, what? (laughs) It's all of it. Or what? I didn't actually think that maybe this was connected to this. And so, you know, I always say to people, you know, at the end of a session, they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Look what you've done, you know. And um, I say to people, because I'm always like, remain humble because you are doing that, you know, this is, this is not, you're not fixing people. And I, I stick to the kind of mantra of, I'm just showing you yourself. Like this is mm. all within you and you've just needed a safe space to explore it and get it put back to you. And then you go from there. So it's like, you had this and you had all of the kind of you know the capacity but you didn't necessarily have the support didn't have the words didn't have the tools and so it's like I show you yourself and then you can go forth whereas otherwise it's like I never want people to feel like they rely on me to fix them because then they keep coming back and coming back and coming back because they don't trust that they can do it on their own which is often part of birth trauma the autonomy and the agency is gone so the idea is I'm giving you back your agency you've got this come on um and you know it's, it's it's really quite beautiful to be able to facilitate that for people and without taking credit for doing anything sort of out of this world but you are like that's the thing is that you are again like just holding this space and providing this container to feel for people to feel so safe and to explore these feelings that they might have just buried forever otherwise and never talked about or never had validated or acknowledged and that is a huge deal And so you were working, obviously, at a hospital as a midwife. So do you have any tips for people, especially like you mentioned earlier here in the States, 
Black women are unfortunately at a much higher risk of birth complications, birth traumas. Are there things that you tell clients, like maybe they're getting ready to conceive again or go through this process again? Are there things that people can do to help avoid these traumas from happening in the first place? Yeah. So once upon a time, when I first started working, I would say to people, you know, do this, do this, do this, do the other. And now I'm like, come see me. <laughs> like, <laughs> come see me. Let's hash this out. But yeah. the reality is, is, it's only because, and the reason I say come and see me is because when you talk to someone, it's like your your brain stores it in a different way. Rather than mm. it's like, I thought about this on my own. And then it's like, you know, life is moving rapidly, particularly if you're if it's a subsequent pregnancy. You don't even have time to sit and think about lots of things. And so something may have occurred to you, but then you forgot it and then you've moved on. Um, but if we think and, you know, what I think, where I think a lot of birth preparation perhaps does a disservice to women is is giving them this idea that they are in control of everything because mm-hmm. what happens then when things don't go the way that they planned but they were told that if they did this 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 here's the here's the here's the solution or here's the kind of um the sum uh the equation to get it right and then it doesn't go right well then you turn the blame inwards because you're like I should have I could have I would have and it's like no we're not going to do right. that what I what I always encourage people to explore is what is within your control? And often the only thing that is within their control is how they respond to what they're presented with. And I'm not talking necessarily like a clinical situation because again, we don't know, but I'm saying, how are you feeling? What are you going to do about it? You know, what are you going to say? Where are you going to place yourself? These are the things that you are in control of. Now, when we start to look at things like that and we say, right, what are the things that I'm in control of? and you implement those, I will tell you now, I'm not a betting woman, but if I was, I'd be rich (laughs) because (laughs) it does work, that you become quite, you don't necessarily care so much anymore about the mode of birth. You care about how you were made to feel, how you asserted yourself, how you used your agency and how you advocated for yourself. So if you're like, repeat that, I don't understand, rather than being like, okay, yes, fine. Da, 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 da. Like we do the latter, you come out of birth and you're like, why didn't I say this? I should have done this. I should have done the other. Whereas instead it's like, actually, I'm going to say what I'm going to, I'm going to say what I need to say, because I want to come out of this going, I said what I needed to say. And that you are in control of. Yes. Now, I love that. I say to people all the time, like, all I want you to do is think about the memory that you want to have. Mm. When you think about this birth, because us as professionals, like I've seen thousands of women in my career. I can tell you now, there are very few of them that I remember. Uh, not because not because I don't care, but because you have to be particularly memorable if when working within a system that's like a conveyor belt, you stand out. Right. So I'm, if, if you say, for example, I'm a stranger and I come in and I say, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this. And you say, okay, fine. Even if you don't want to, you've allowed me to determine what you're going to do. I'm someone that could walk past you in a supermarket and not remember you. Me, me to you, on the other hand, you will remember me. 
Now, if you know me, you know that I love to cook and I love creating healthy meals for my family. But even more than that, I love things that are easy and convenient. And even though I love to cook dinner for my kids, sometimes for things like lunches or if I'm just going to be working at night and need something easy for myself to grab, I love Factors meals. And especially now in the spring and summertime where we've got more plans, we're busier, we're outside, we're going out and doing things more. Having Factor meals in my fridge is such a game changer because they're healthy, they're zero prep and they're so fresh and delicious factors fresh and never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes right from your microwave so no matter how busy you are you always have time to enjoy nutritious and great tasting meals and when i tell you they are actually delicious i 100 recommend these my mom even recently asked me, are they really good? I heard you talking about them on your podcast, but is it? are you really saying that you like them? And I said, yes, you have to order them. They are actually so, so yummy. So what are you waiting for? There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons you can choose from each week. So you always have new flavors to explore. You'll never get bored with the same old meals. They truly taste like restaurant quality, so you don't feel like you're depriving yourself of anything. It actually feels like you're fueling up your body with delicious food that is real and super, super nutrient dense. So you can enjoy this effortless support to your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage whatever goals you have and simply just eat well-balanced, delicious, easy food. Head to factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 and use code no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. So this is an amazing deal. That's code no one told us 50 at factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% of your next month while your subscription is active. Active. And feel free to send me a message and ask me for my favorite meals because I love talking about them and I'll be happy to help you choose. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Because you would have said, I oh, let this woman tell me what to do, go against my gut or not use my agency and she doesn't even remember me wow yeah she doesn't remember me but I remember and so it's like if you constantly think what do I want to remember you won't let people start to take things from you and dictate to you you'll start to think hold on I carry this memory for life they've got this for 10 minutes what do I want it to yes. be yes oh my gosh that is so powerful yeah, so do yeah. you even recommend then that people make a birth plan. I know that that's kind of like a divisive topic. There's lots of people that have lots of thoughts about mm. birth plans or like doulas. How do you feel about stuff like that for improving birth outcomes? Yeah. So <clears throat> I, again, am very much like you do you boo, you know, like it's, I honestly do not care. I'm not some type of like home birth pariah. I'm not against C-sections. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I, 
I don't care if you're on your back, if that's where you want to be. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're epidural up to your eyeballs. It makes no difference to me because <laughs> you chose it and you're right. living it. So right. if you say to me, Eileen, I've got a 15 page birth plan. I'm going to say to you, well, okay, then if that made you feel comfortable, <laughs> if that's what you yeah. wanted to do, then I'm here to support you to do what you want to do. That's all my job is. And I wish that more healthcare professionals understood that. That is like, I'm here to support you in doing what you want to do. We're working collaboratively. You know, yes. it's not that I am your boss. This is me and you as a team. What do you want to do? How can we do it? So for me, a birth plan, I'm neither here nor there. Now, I definitely, so in my book, I speak about a birth plan. And I remember sending it to my agent, um, to my editor. And she was like, is, is this it? And I was like, yeah. And the template in my book is literally, who are you? Who's your partner? What do you want the name to, like, what do you want to go by? What do you want? What do you categorically not want? And what is important to you? Simple. Now, when, it's so simple. When you Love scale it. it back and you quiet yeah. in the noise, you're like, huh, yeah, actually. Because this means that you don't start getting into, well, I'll only have a forceps if it's desperately needed and I'll only have a section if the baby might die because it's like, well, that's, that's clear. That's fine. Right. Obviously. What we say is what's important. It's obvious, right? If we say it's important to me that my choices are well communicated, it's Mm. important to me that I'm offered a range of pain relief options and I understand what the implications of taking them are. It's important to me that I'm mobile. It's important to me that I'm given agency. It's important to me that you don't refer to me as honey or as darling, or that you don't speak in my space. I go by the name Ilene. Please refer to me as such. My birth support goes by the name of Harry. Please refer to him as such. Don't refer to him as dad. He is not your daddy. He's not my daddy. (laughs) Okay, so we can refer to him as his name and we can also bring him into the conversation because it's important. Oh my God, please. You know, yeah, if we we really stop and think, it's like, what matters to me? Because so many people Google templates and the template says, do you want vitamin K? Do you want vaccines? Do you want a golden hour? Do you want skin to skin? Do you want, it's like, I don't bloody know. I don't know if I'm going to be out of it. I don't know if I'm going to like feel that I'm capable. I don't know what state anyone's going to be in. And what I don't want to do is be like, look at all the things that I didn't achieve on this birth plan that I really did. Right. So it's like, right. actually, I'm just going to scale it back. I'm going to yes. just look at what's important. So, you know, if it helps you, then it helps. But do it because you want to. Don't do it because it's trending. Don't do it because someone's told you that you're supposed to do it and you're supposed to have all of the answers. If you're struggling to write a birth plan, put it to one side. Put it to, it doesn't matter. Just be like, I just want to feel held. I just want to feel heard. I want to feel mm-hmm. safe. And, and, and that could be it. That could be your birth plan. And within that, lots of different things can happen, but you leave it essentially open but the focus is on the feeling. In regards to doulas, totally, if you want one. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. I mean, I definitely feel that they have now been like promoted as being like the savior and, you know, 
this will be the difference between a good birth and a not so good birth. I mean, mm. you say to someone, I had a crap experience and they say, did you have a doula though? <laughs> and it's like, no, right. but it's what? like, well, no, I didn't um, have the extra like $2,000 laying around. <laughs> for a doula. Yeah, I mean, they are yeah, like, exactly. I, I had a doula for all of my births. I absolutely loved them. They were so amazing. And for me, mm-hmm. they did make a huge difference, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, like they're not free. And they're not for everyone. Some people are like, no, I don't feel like I need that. And it's like, right. this is what I mean. Like, I have so much respect for them and the work that they're doing. But I don't promote anyone as being essential other than you. In your right. birth, the only essential right. thing is you. And so it's like, right, now we can look if we want to widen the circle, if we want to have more people, if anyone else feels essential. But is it mm-hmm. essential to you or is it essential because everyone else is doing it? And, you know, I always say to people, get a postnatal doula because I think they're worth their weight in gold. If you can oh get my a good gosh, that's, Yes, <laughs> that's one thing I, I did wrong is I never did one of those. And oh my God, they would be worth their weight in gold, yeah. especially for subsequent births yeah. where you have another child to care for too. It's like, oh my God, would be so worth help. worth the cash. Yeah, yeah just yeah, help, help me. And it's exactly, and it means that you're kind of looking beyond the immediate of the birth. Like if we really break it down, birth is like the shortest bit. Like right, I pregnancy know. is really long and postpartum yep. is really long. And so it's like, real why long. are we not going real long? Like my son is obviously like however old he is. And I'm like, I still feel broken. It still feels very right. postpartum. And, you know, right. it is one of those things that we have to do so much work for with my son. So he was born three months after my mum very suddenly passed away. And we had a family friend who was a doula and she was based in Cape Town and we'd been on the phone. So my mum died on the 26th of December and we'd been on the phone on the 13th of December, basically having said, you know what, actually don't come because flights are being cancelled and lockdowns and blah, blah, blah. So do you know what? I'm just going to interview someone else and see how I go. And um, obviously then my mum died and I called her in the January and I was like, I just feel like I need you here. And she was like, I have the same feeling. And so then we were like, cool, let's do it. So she came for his birth and she stayed for three weeks after his birth. We kicked my husband wow. out and she slept oh. in my bed and oh. she would take the baby. She'd pass him to me to feed and then she would mm-hmm. take him and she'd burp him, put him back to sleep. She'd give me like six baths. She'd bring me breakfast in bed. Like Honestly, that sounds like difference. heaven. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And then my husband was able to take care of our daughter because I was right. being taken care of. You know, it right. was just, the doula doesn't necessarily have to be for you, but it could be, you know, you use it however you, however serves you. Um, and, yeah. you know, it is about you. It is about thinking what serves me in this moment because the impact of what is serving me in this moment extends much further beyond this moment. So true. That is so beautiful that you had that. And especially, I'm so sorry about the loss of your mom. And that must have been really wonderful to have somebody holding you in that way when you're so like fresh Mm -hmm. and vulnerable postpartum and after that huge loss. You mentioned also your husband, also just like partners in the birthing room in general. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear what some tips from you would be about just like how to involve our partners. And maybe if we are feeling like we have some birth trauma or we have, you know, some negative feelings around how our birth went, 
or any of that postpartum, how could partners support us through that? Or how could we open up that conversation with our partner? Yeah, so this thing, right? So let's say you've had a traumatic experience. Your partner has lived that experience through a different lens, one that is deserving of space as well. Now, this is without you saying that he's a competitor. He is not a competitor. Do you find sometimes, sorry to interrupt you, but you just brought up such a good point. Do you find sometimes that there could be the partner that's traumatized, even if the birthing person is not because of what they saw or experienced themselves? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we have settings such as mums needing to be under general anesthetic to have the baby, Mm. they don't recall that and perhaps do not feel traumatized by it. But for the partner, they are watching and they're told to get out of the room. It's an emergency. They don't know what's going on. And immediately, because in those settings, there's quite poor communication, they have catastrophized. And even if it is just for about three seconds, they are thinking that the person or the people that they love most in this world may not be here anymore. Now, if we look mm. at what PTSD is, that is thinking that someone you love or yourself are going to die. That is one of the main causes of PTSD. Mm. So if we think for a partner, particularly a male partner, and I don't say this because female partners don't feel things, but it's different. For a male partner who's, I'm often, you know, because of toxic masculinity, but they definitely feel I'm the protector, I'm the yeah. server one, I do everything, I save. And in that moment, that level of impotence can manifest itself in a deep-rooted trauma that, because they didn't experience birth, gets very little attention and people don't think how's that manifesting itself so when they look at their partner's personality they're like he's just not engaged he's just not Mm -hmm. helping what an asshole and it's like hmm is he not helping or is there something underneath this or he's really angry all the time and he never used to be and I don't know what's wrong he's really distant or he's really panicky or he's sad and it's like maybe you could just talk to him be like how do you feel without telling him how he feels and without talking about how you feel ask him how he feels and if he's like he's he's not he's not chatty you know there's lots of men who are like stop talking to me about feelings like I don't want to have a conversation (laughs) and but we say if you had to describe the birth in three words what would they be give it Mm. to them like short and sharp easy they can often engage in short and sharp more than Mm -hmm. they can engage in like getting into the feels And they might be like scary, overwhelming, and happy. These things might exist together. And you say, oh, what what scared you? Really? That's amazing. What scared you? Open questions. Not, were you scared? That's just a yes or a no. It's like, what what were you scared of? Leave space. Leave space for the conversation to be whatever it needs to be. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Now, when it comes to um, birth partners, I don't know. Here, we're we're so kind of um, romantic about the notion that like men have to be there. And I think it's definitely reinforced by like television and um, this kind of idea of like faux equality, which is like, if I've got to live it, you've got to live it too. But it's like, that's not not really it. Like, they're not going to live it. So, you know, making them watch you is kind of not going to have the desired effect. So, you know, it kind of feels a little bit like, okay, cool. Um, And I completely, again, as like a theme, you know, I completely respect if you're like, yep, I want my partner there. Like, he is my guy. Like, he is my advocate. He is my safe person. I think that for a lot of people, that's what that person is. This conversation and this choice has to be consensual. They have to want to be there and understand their purpose in that space. You are not here because you have earned it. You're not here because we're married. You're not here because you're the dad. That's not why you're here. You're here because you have a job. And that is to be my person, to be my voice if I need it, to be my security if I require it, and to be there to pick up any pieces that I might drop along the way. That's that's what your job is. And if you're not going to be able to do that, that's cool. But tell me, tell me you can't yes. do it. And beforehand, I'll give you the app. I'll give you the app, you know, and with my daughter's birth, my husband was there and I remember him saying to me, I don't really want to be there. And I was like, shut up. You're definitely going to be there. And he was quite absent. Like he was, he was really struggling, like hates blood. You know, he's like, why am I here? And I remember they were taking me in for a C-section and I, I was like, so are you coming? And he was like, um, you know what, your sister-in-law can go instead. I was like, shut up, you're coming. Like, again, <laughs> me being like, this is what I'm deciding I want. I'm not listening to you. And right. he's Spanish and we were in England and he couldn't advocate for me because he didn't have the vocabulary, meaning that actually he was, he was like, he was as useful as a chocolate teapot. You know, it was like, okay, <laughs> you're not really serving the required purpose. So when right. it came to my son's birth, 
I was like, what do you want to do? And he was like, I don't want to be there. I was like, I don't want you there. I was like, this is incredible. Perfect. I love this for us. Um, Same page. And <laughs> it, was, it was like, great. You know, it didn't have to be this awkward thing of me kicking him out. And it didn't have to be this awkward thing of me forcing him or him, him forcing himself, sorry, to be there. Yeah. I had my sister and my doula. And honestly, the most empowering space. It was absolutely incredible. And, you know, I had a home birth after a cesarean section. So first cesarean section, second was a home birth. And and he was born within like, I don't know, like maybe three hours of active labor. That's amazing. It was just absolutely out of this world. But do you know why? Because I looked at how I felt and I counted it. I answered all of those questions. How did you feel the last time? Who contributed to those feelings? Who's welcome in your space? How can you combat those feelings? And when I did that, it was like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is going to be the way it's going to be. And he was, he has been an absolute joy ever since, because for me, the way you start things is the way that they continue. So if you're thinking, how am I going to do this? That thing is important. How you start things will often help to to determine how you are able to overcome even difficult things because you're starting at your peak. You're starting strong, and so it's like okay, cool. Whereas with my daughter, I started on the floor. Well, had I had to get up? Like there was no lower to go. Right, right. Well, and I love that you were so honest with each other about that, and honest with yourselves fuck what people think we should do like you know this idea that a certain person's supposed to be in the room has to be in the room has to be the support person like i just love that you kind of said no that's not going to work for us we're going to do something different and and you had an amazing experience and so does that mean that he was then able to be available for your daughter while you were giving birth was that kind of his role mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay perfect yeah so he took my daughter to my dad's and it was just important to us that he was there when the baby was born so literally I remember I gave birth and I was on my hands and knees the head came out and then I kind of threw myself back and I was sort of sitting on my heels and I picked him up from between my legs and when I was pushing the head was out and I said to my sister get my husband get Omar get him like this and I lifted him up onto my chest and I remember turning and there he was in the doorway (gasps) just as I'd lifted him up Oh my God, and I was I like, chills. it's a boy. Oh, <laughs> so it was like, he was there for the moment that I was like, <laughs> it was so intense. Like, it was, inc- it was incredible. That's amazing. Um, oh my God. So yeah, it was, it was really quite special. And you know, he had energy and he yeah. felt like he'd served the purpose that I needed him to. When we start to look into our relationships and I, I'm going to sort of touch on relationships like postnatally, when you allow someone and encourage someone to serve the purpose that you need them to, it will only serve your relationship. Mm. It'll only serve your parenting journey because you say, right, these are my needs. You need to fulfill them. You don't give them vague answers and they don't give you a half-assed effort. It's like, don't say to, don't say to someone when they say, what do you need? You say everything. Oh, 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 how do I, how do I do that? Um, what did you say? Right, Actually, I think there's this idea that we have to have our partner fulfill like every single one of our needs and they have to be our, like yeah. everything. 
all in one person. And that's probably pretty unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard bloody work. You know, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's definitely it not easy. And I think one of the things, and it's again, it's it's in birth, it's in pregnancy, postnatal, is what happens to us when our expectations aren't met? This disappointment, this kind of festering of frustration, resentment and anger. And it's like, okay, you have an expectation. Have you voiced the expectation? Have you shared it? Have you explored it? The expectation that you have placed on this person, do they have the capacity to fulfill it? Let me give you an example. I've said for years, my husband and I have been together, I think, you know, 13 years or something. And I... Every bloody birthday, I'm like, hun, surprise me. I just want to be surprised. Like, come on. I, throughout the year, I'll be like, oh, I like this thing. And I'm thinking, you're going to write it down because other right. people's husbands note. do. Take a mental like, note. This is normal. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Gets to my birthday. Present is always shocking. Absolutely shocking. And I'm so disappointed. Now, I had to explore the expectation that I was placing on this person. And because it didn't, it was like, I'm saying, come on. And each year I was disappointed. Now there were two things that were at play here was that one, he wasn't really trying to meet my expectation. And two, the expectation wasn't necessarily just. And so this year I was like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And what happened? I got it all. And I was really happy. The expectation was met. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, there was just a clear understanding. You know, Hollywood has fed us absolute bollocks. It's told us about this man who just gets it all and he just understands everything. And it's crap. Like, who is he? He's he's a unicorn. So, you know, we, when it comes to all of those experiences, how, how we are, how we parent, we have to explore our expectation. Now, we don't necessarily have to lower it but we have to apply it in a way that is applicable to the situation and to what you're being presented with. In fact, never lower your expectations. Never lower your expectations because actually there's not a problem with your expectation in terms of how you want to feel and want to be treated and what you expect. And when you start to lower it, you allow people to treat you like shit. You allow yourself to be constantly in a cycle of disappointment. But be fair in your expectations. So if you know that, I don't know, the hospital that you're going to has a C-section rate of 99.9% saying, I'm going into this hospital and I'm going to have a vaginal birth and I'm going to do this. Like, is, that, is that really fair for you to place that you're expectation right. on yourself? Right. Probably, probably not, probably not going to get met, probably is it? Probably not. You know, so you you perhaps need to think, is this the place, as you explore that expectation, is this the place that can facilitate that? What do I need to facilitate that? Who do I need to facilitate that? Where do I need to go so that you can move the expectation and apply it somewhere where it sits comfortably? Exactly. I love that. I talk about this all the time with um, with regards to like sleep and with our clients. I mean, sometimes my team members and I will talk about like a client intake that comes in and the the parents' goals are just like completely unrealistic and just like crazy. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, you know, we love that dream for you. But (laughs) let's talk about Mm -hmm. all of the reasons why this might not be possible at this time. And yeah, and it's not necessarily lowering your expectations, but it's just being realistic. I love that. You know, even on 
the topic of sleep and the expectation, it's it's kind of like, again, we are fed this idea that we can fix things, that, you know, this baby's going to do all of this because you had a good birth, because you had a doula, because you had this and you had all of that. And it's like, babies don't really kind of care. Um, so, no. and a lot of people get really disappointed and they turn it inwards again, or they put it on the baby or their partners. Why can't you put the baby to sleep? Like, come on, you're not trying hard enough. And baby, why don't you sleep? You're just bad. Like, you're just a bad sleeper. You're just a bad whatever. And why can't I get my baby to sleep? Now, a lot of the time when I explore things like that, if parents say things like that to me, I'm like, how did you feel in the birth? You know, how did, Mm. you know, because what I'm getting from you is that it felt out of control. It felt like you couldn't kind of get a grasp on it. And I'm also getting that perhaps you didn't feel that your partner supported you in this. So that extends into other vulnerable periods, such as sleeplessness. And yeah. you have these resentments and these things and you're like, I can't control this. I need to get, I need to get it. So you try sleep training, you try all of this shit. You take them to every doctor. Oh, I think there's something wrong with them. Is it colic? Give them every drop under the sun. Is it this? Mm-hmm. Is it that? Is it reflux? And like, I'm going to, I'm going to control this. I'm going to fix this because I didn't control that. And then your partner like, and you're, you're sitting there looking like a lemon. You could help. Blah, 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 blah. And the partner's like, ah, I don't know what to do. When you connect the dots, you're like, what's going on here? You know, what's going on here? What's wrong with the expectation? What was not, what needs were not met? What has happened outside of this immediate issue? And is it actually an issue or are your feelings around it the issue? And can we explore those? Right. Is it really about what it's about? Is it really about the sleep or is it really? Yeah. Do you find that babies who have been through a traumatic birth have any like common themes like parents ask me sometimes you know I had a traumatic birth and I just am wondering like if that's why my baby is doing this or why my baby is this way do you find any common themes or is it babies are just going to be babies So sometimes it's just yeah sometimes it's just the card that you've been dealt and that baby is it's a bit unsettled um Mm -hmm. other times there can be a sense of um unrest or unease in these babies they can be quite like nervy babies you know um Mm. kind of what would be classed as like a challenging baby um but I actually think if we start to look at because my I you know I if you'd have asked me in the first sort of few weeks of my daughter's life I would have been like what the hell like she is a problem (laughs) like I don't know what this child is send her back and send her back exactly and what was actually happening was I had so much pent up sort of fury and, and difficulty was that I was really struggling to submit to this process of just taking mm-hmm. my child. And yeah. I remember the day that it came to me to just kind of drop my shoulders and give in to what I was being presented with. And I was home alone with her for the first time because I'd had all my family around. My sisters were there. My mum was there. Everyone was there. My husband had gone back to work and, um, she just wouldn't chill out and I was like babe like what's going on and under the stairs I had this sling that I'd bought and I put the sling on and for the first time she just went quiet and let me tell you that child didn't need the sling for 18 months you know she was in it all the time but I just was like this is clearly a child who has these nicks she wants to be close to me and actually because of how I'm feeling I'm struggling to meet her there 
Mm. And no one is telling me that that's what I need to do. Everyone's telling me, go to the doctor, try this, try that, da, 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 da. leave her to cry. And it's like, put her down. Yeah. No, I need to not do that. You know? Um, so mm-hmm. I, it's not because I'm saying it's your fault. If you have an unsettled baby, there are going to be unsettled babies. But if you have any type of traumas or residual kind of emotions that your body is holding on to, that can very easily manifest itself in how you are with your child and they just mirror you a lot of the yeah. time. Or you find yeah. the opposite where these children just don't really do much. Like they're just quite like quite quiet, quite like, you know, it's like, are you okay? Yeah. Um yeah. they're sort of landing, you know. Um so yeah, you know, my advice is to always take some time to explore your own feelings about what happened. And again, once we start to connect the dots, you'll be like, "Mm, maybe I could try something else. And maybe I am strong enough and maybe I am powerful enough and maybe I'm capable enough. And I just need to, I need that to be validated and reinforced. And that is an absolutely valid need. And one that I sort of insist on meeting when, when people come to see me. That's so important. Before we wrap up, what is, I mean, I love that you've shared so much about your own journey. What is one thing that you feel like no one told you about parenting before you became a mom for the first time? What's something you wish someone had just been like, hey, just so you know. (laughs) I kind of wish that someone had told me how like forever it is. Um, mm. how that sense of forever can actually be really, really scary. Um, that your you can that your heart is irrevocably changed and it just kind of moves position. So, you know, when they're babies, they're fragile, you don't want to drop them, and then when they're toddlers, you don't want them to hurt themselves, and then when they're older, you don't want them to go to their friends alone. And, you know, that kind of forever sense of like Oh yeah. my God. Like this is like, I'm constantly going to feel that there is a bit of my heart outside of my body and that unease that comes with that. Um, that is a forever thing. Um, yeah. I reckon my children will be like married with kids of their own and I'll still be like, Ooh. <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh. Of course. Oh, you keep giving me chills, but that was, yeah, that's such a good answer because that is true. And just to like prepare yourself for your, for your heart to change forever and and know that that's yeah yeah. it's okay where can people find your amazing resources or maybe book a session with you or where can they find your book and i'll put all of this in the show notes too amazing um so you can find me at mixing.up.motherhood you can find my book on like amazon anywhere in the world most most places in europe can get it like i said canada can get it And if you want to book with me, all of my sessions are over Zoom. So it's international. It's anywhere in the world. We just figure out the time difference and I'm there. Um, And you can do that via my link tree or via my website, www.mixingatmotherhood.com. You are more than welcome to come and see me and we'll hash it out and um, it'll be good. It's so amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that this conversation will help other people out there. You've been listening to No One Told Us. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.